Cool, we're on air. Let's go. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Rated E for Educational. If you've ever been frustrated by the amount of time taken to learn something new, then this is the show for you. Today we are reviewing the movie, The Matrix. My name is Daniel Cohen and joining me is Amy Cotton. Hi everyone. Amy, this is a very exciting day for me. It's... This is one of my all-time favourite movies. I, I know, and you've been dressing like Neo for the past three weeks. It's weird. <laughs> Stop. See, the thing is, I've been dressing like Neo for the past three years. Uh, it's the last three weeks I've let it come to work. <laughs> um, this was actually the first DVD I ever bought. No. Yep. Uh, way back when it was first released, and... Um, I loved this movie so much. Uh, we're only talking about The Matrix today. Uh, we're not going into the full trilogy. Uh, but when the third movie, Revolutions, was released, that was the first worldwide release. And here in Melbourne, it was uh, screened at 1am uh, local time. Uh, so it was synchronous all across the world. And I was one of the people that went for the 1am screening. But not only that, when did the movie marathon, which turned out to be a fabulous idea because the line to get in was ridiculous and everyone from the movie marathon got preferential seating when we got in. So I had a wonderful time. But I digress. Uh, when's, what's the first time you saw this movie? Oh, I, I think I saw it at the movies, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember it being very big because I'm actually from Sydney where it was filmed. So yes. uh, Sydney was extremely excited about this film, <laughs> uh, a big, big Hollywood film. It wasn't um, the first, but it was one of the major ones that really uh, revolutionised uh, Sydney's filmmaking community. Yeah, that's fabulous. Uh, yeah, so it was huge. So we all went to see it. I didn't actually see it at the cinemas. <gasps> I was still in high school when this came out, revealing my age there. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't get to see this until it came out on DVD. Uh, following, uh, what was that, a year or two later. It, it was back then when it took a while for movies to come out on DVD after it finished in the cinemas. Uh, so, yeah, I saw it on DVD wow. first time. I, I just had this realisation I'm older than you. Yep. <laughs> either that or you had much more permissive parents. So, no, either no, way. I was definitely at university when this <laughs> came out. <laughs> um, so, Amy, I believe you have some trivia to go through for us. Sure. Well, this film was released in March 1999 uh, and it was budgeted at $63 million, which seems an incredibly small amount these days, but grossed over $170 million just at the US domestic box office. Uh, it was made by the Wachowskis uh, and it was based on philosophical ideas, but also melding with comic book storytelling style. So it was a, a very um, innovative film in terms of how it melded the comic book style with martial arts choreography, which was a fairly new uh, meld. It's not like it hadn't been done before, but they did it extremely well. This is on the back of other films like uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It was a big resurgence of choreographed, planned, beautifully executed uh, martial arts on screen. So. Yeah, I, I really love this film because it was the culmination of that whole 
um, genre really building itself up. But sorry, I'm digressing into how much I like the film. Uh, other films that year, it was a very strong year for film. So there was American Beauty, Toy Story 2, Star Wars Episode 1 also came out that film, uh, year, along with The Sixth Sense, Blair Witch, 10 Things I Hate About You, Eyes Wide Shut. So this is an eclectic group of film, a really strong year for interesting film, perhaps taking Star Wars Episode One out of that mix. <laughs> anyway, um, The Matrix did pick up an Academy Award for editing, visual effects and sound, so actually three. As well it should have. Yeah, it really should have. Uh, it should have probably got a few more out of those categories as well. Uh, the best film that year went to American Beauty, so which of course stands as a film to this day, but interesting. I wonder if they'd still do that in retrospect. So 1999 was an interesting year. Of course, it was the year of the impeachment trials of Bill Clinton. It was also the year uh, where the Nighthawk was shot down by Serbian forces in the Kosovo War, uh, which seems a very long time ago now, um, given all the wars that have happened in between there. Uh, it was the year of the Columbine School High School Massacre. Yeah, wow, that was that year. Uh, and... A few other interesting things happened, such as uh, the government of Colombia announcing that it would include the estimated value of its illegal drug crops, which exceeded half a billion US dollars, in its gross national product. Go Colombia for including that. I suppose it's export. Taxes are taxes. <laughs> um, JFK Jr. crashed his plane off the, um, uh, off the coast of Martha's Vineyard, so it was that year as well. Interesting sort of to think about in terms of the matrix, um, in 1999, in November, the WTO meeting was met by anti-globalisation protesters. So that caught the police unprepared. You think about any major uh, meeting that happens these days, there are always anti-globalisation protests, but that was the one that really caught everyone by surprise. It's interesting that this time period is a... A period of impeachment and uh, protests. It, it seems just a lot like our current times. Turmoil. <laughs> turmoil. Turmoil. Uh, just for a little bit of a throwback, uh, the Recording Industry Association of America filed a lawsuit against Napster as a file-sharing client. So that uh, takes us back to there. Um, I think one of the things that um, we haven't talked about in the trivia there this film, I remember being a revolutionary film. It changed so much about how films were made, especially action ones. One of the things I love about this film is it was a real technical innovator. So in terms of film technology and how it propelled the, the way that we tell films in a new, completely new direction for film history, uh, we were talking a little bit before about bullet time. So this is where you have a whole series of cameras set up. Uh, either you can have them in a short arc or it might be a 360 arc, and you get them all to take a camera, uh, a shot at the same time when you're doing something. And you can sequence those shots together so it looks like the camera is moving, a bit like stop-motion animation, rather than uh, actually having to move the camera. Yet you get this perfect pause whilst the camera moves around the subject. The special features on the DVD have a detailed explanation about how they actually filmed Bullet Time and how they made all of that work and that's one that 
I geeked out on and watched with great interest. It's it's so fascinating the way they invented that. Mm. And then the thing that I love is that this really changed the way action was done in films because there are so many movies that started emulating what they did in The Matrix and then there are all the movies that spoofed it as well. Like mm. There's a scene in Shrek yes. um, where they do the <laughs> bullet time uh, bit uh, except they didn't require all those cameras because it was animated, so you can just draw it. Shh, but um, don't break the magic. No, 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 it was real, I believe. Um, there was uh, there was a Jet Li movie that came out very shortly after um, The Matrix, and I can't remember the name of it, but I remember watching it going, hey, this is just like how they did it in The Matrix. And then in the, gee, nearly 20 years since... Uh, it was released, it's just changed the way action's done. And it's fascinating to look at historically, but um, really fabulous for someone who's a fan of martial arts in, in film. So, Yeah, I, I think that was I was talking about before with the reference back to Crouch and Tiger, Hidden Dragon with the, uh, the wire work as well. So integrating wire work into innovative film technology, yeah, uh, just an amazing film. Uh, there's even a reference in there to Terminator 2 when uh, the silver starts crawling up across the body and it's. I think it was that shot when I was watching the film the first time that made me really shiver. It's like they've taken a seminal film moment yeah. and they're saying we see that and we're going to push it forward and further and, oh, amazing. Um, the other bit of trivia, and I'll talk about this more when uh, we move on, there's a scene later on where they're going through a bit of a training thing. It's the scene with the woman in the red dress, the mm. agent training part. Um, they actually used multiple pairs of twins as the extras around the main characters and they did that because they wanted to make it seem like it was a copy-paste thing when they were making the program. Oh. So it's those, and that'll make more sense the more we talk about um, this actual podcast uh, episode, but um, it's things like that, that little attention to detail that, that was really creating this um, complete sense of mood. And um, this was the very first film that um, Warner Brothers and Village and whoever else was involved in the production gave permission to to change their logos. Oh. So right from the very start, the Village Roadshow logo yeah. came up in green mm. and the Warner Brothers thing came up in green and it was all this green tinge because the Wachowskis said, this is a whole world. We are going from very beginning into this world and they really had all that attention to detail, um, which I've now come to um, love and expect from the Wachowskis. Yeah, it's one of those films, the gift that no matter how hard you look, there's always something new to discover. So, Daniel, we've geeked out a fair bit about the trivia and the timeline of this film. I think it's about time we just refresh everyone's mind about the storyline. Okay. Um, this... I find personally challenging because this was my go-to movie for many years. Nothing to watch on TV, so I'd just watch this so I can nearly recite it line by line. So Please I'll don't. try to break it down into some smaller chunks. Um, so 
we open on a computer screen that appears to be running some sort of program. We get to listen to some main characters talking and we see that there is a trace being run. Um, we open on uh, to another scene of police storming a building, trying to apprehend the character we know as Trinity. I sent two units. They're bringing her down now. No, Lieutenant, your men are already dead. In the ensuing battle, we see su almost superhuman powers on display as Trinity evades capture from the police. We're then introduced to the agents. They head upstairs to apprehend Trinity, but Trinity's already on the run. We have a great chase scene uh, followed by Trinity's narrow escape. We change scenes to meet our hero of the story, Neo, a hacker living in his bedroom who has a strange experience with his computer. His computer seems to come alive with a life of its own. Uh, and he starts to follow the messages when he's interrupted by people at his door. Uh, some shady deals go on, but he takes heed of the message he got from his computer and decides to follow the White Rabbit and heads out for the night where he meets Trinity. My name is Trinity. The Trinity? That cracked the IRS base. That was a long time ago. Jesus. What? I just thought, um... You were a guy. Most guys do. After talking with Trinity, he discovers that he's getting close to finding all of the answers that he desires. We move on to seeing uh, Thomas Anderson waking late for work, rushing into work into the authoritarian metacortex. The arrival of an unexpected package sees Thomas Anderson having a chat with Morpheus. With another display of superhuman powers, Neo tries to escape the uh, invading federal agents, but unfortunately gets apprehended. Throughout the questioning, we again see some superhuman powers on display as we're starting to find out that there is actually a war going on between the so-called terrorist Morpheus and the federal agents who have an agenda that we just don't know about yet. Thomas Anderson unknowingly seems to have stumbled into the middle of all of it. Once he's released from the clutches of the federal agents, he again uh, crosses paths with Trinity, where he is taken to finally meet the mysterious Morpheus. A discussion ensues where Morpheus is promising all of the answers to, Neo, to Neo's questions, uh, and Neo is presented with a choice. Does he take the red pill or the blue pill? Neo decides to continue following the answers that he seeks and decides to follow Morpheus on the journey, not knowing where he'll end up. We move to the next scene where Neo awakens in a big bathtub of goo. He sees the world around him, seeing it for the very first time, where he is then rescued by Morpheus and the rest of the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar. Through an arduous regime of medical intervention, Neo is then reintroduced to uh, all of the crew and then taken to finally get the answers that he's been seeking. He enters a digital virtual reality world uh, where he and Morpheus have the discussion where he finds out that 
what he thought was real was no more than an illusion in his mind and that he is now in the real world. Welcome to the desert of the real. After a small meltdown, Neo returns to the Nebuchadnezzar for another bit of respite and relaxation. We move to Neo going through some basic training, learning what it is that he's been missing out on the whole time, learning about the history of the human and machine war. Uh, and then eventually he goes through the training with Morpheus, his mentor, showing him the way to survive. After some more character development from all of the crew, we re-enter the Matrix to go and visit the Oracle. Neo receives the news that he wasn't expecting to hear, that he wasn't actually the one, despite the fact that Morpheus had been talking as if he is. I'm not the one. Sorry, kid. After visiting the Oracle, they go to return to the ship, but then discover Cypher has betrayed all of them. Why, oh why didn't I take the blue pill? Another battle ensues between the, our heroes and the dreaded agents. In this battle, Morpheus is captured while the others escape. We continue through some exposition about what's been happening between the humans and the machines, and we get to a pivotal moment in Neo's short awakening where he has to again make the choice between life and death, and he decides that he alone has the ability to go in and rescue Morpheus. After successfully beating Cypher, the betrayer, they re-enter the Matrix to go on the rescue. Neo, no one has ever done anything like this. That's why it's going to work. Another big fight ensues. The battle is won by our heroes after Neo displays some amazing superhuman abilities, revealing that he's becoming more like the agents that everyone so fears. They rescue Morpheus and head back to the ship, except the agents intervene once again. Neo starts to believe that he is potentially the one and decides that he will stand and fight his ground with Agent Smith. A lengthy battle continues and continues and continues in some amazing technically driven action and some captivating viewing. Uh, and we eventually end in the room that it all started in with Neo trying to escape back to the ship. Agent Smith is there waiting for him and shoots him multiple times, killing Neo. For as we learned, the body cannot live without the mind. Neo slumped in the hallway is pronounced dead by the agents as the Nebuchadnezzar is under attack from the Sentinels. All looks lost until Trinity reveals her heart. And as with all good Disney stories, love will find a way. Neo resurrects from the dead, having now completed his transformation to becoming the one. He can see the code of the Matrix all around him and is now master of this world. Agent Smith attacks, but he is no match for Neo. Neo, in spectacular fashion, 
destroys Agent Smith and then, just in the nick of time, reaches the phone to return to the Nebuchadnezzar. We then move to the epilogue where the trace from the beginning of the movie is running again and is interrupted. Neo, now able to interface directly with the machine world, is able to stop their advances and tells them, I'm going to show them a world without you. And finishes with a final superhuman Superman flight. I really, the one thing I don't like about this film is the kiss. I really no, yeah. Oh, wasn't it true love? For what reason has she got to love him? She's been watching him for so long. That's creepy. She loved him before they'd even met. That's creepy. The Oracle said she would. And give me this Twilight shit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I watched you while you were sleeping. What? Uh, like um, <laughs> while you were sleeping. That, yeah. That's that. It's creepy. Yeah, that's, a, that's the one bit I just thought, why? We don't need to do that. A woman doesn't need to be of romantic interest. But the rest of it, I understand he has to die, he has to revive, and I get the whole, ah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't get that at first. So yeah. when I watch a movie, I just kind of lose myself in the movie, and it wasn't until many years later that I realised the whole religious overtone and mm. the Jesus metaphor yeah, of the yeah. resurrection. And, and I just kind of, once I heard that, I went, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Gee, that's all the way through it. That's unbelievable. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I never got the whole Messiah saviour thing the first time I watched it, but um, that might say more about me than it does the film. <laughs> yeah, no, it was pretty evident. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, no need for the kiss, even though I think it's cute, yeah, it's a reverse Sleeping Beauty thing, but oh, come on. Okay, so... Um, we have some educational things, but before we get to that, I want to talk about the premise of the movie. Mm. Um, when I was at uni, I did a unit on philosophy, and the Matrix is one of the texts that we studied for this unit. Um, and so if you go onto Wikipedia uh, and just search for a René Descartes, uh, you'll find some information about one of his... Uh, philosophy theories about an evil demon. And it basically uh, outlined this idea, uh, which is what the Matrix is kind of based on. How do we in our everyday life know that what we are seeing is real? So the question was, what if there is an evil power, a super, a, a, a godlike figure, the great deceiver, who has tricked us into believing everything's around us. And this is reflected in the film. Have you ever had a dream, Neo, that you were so sure was real? What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? So if everything we're looking at around us is the dream, then how do we know we're still we're in the dream? It's an exploration of what is reality, and I love, I really enjoyed it uh, as an exploration in itself. And I think um, Descartes' theory was really difficult to wrap your head around, um, but the invention of virtual reality uh, and the digital world meant that it became something that was consumable by the masses and easily understood because everyone got what cyberspace is. It's just this imagined world that doesn't actually have 
a physical representation. So if you constantly live in the virtual reality, how do you know what's going on around you? And a quick search of YouTube will show you plenty of people who don't react well to the reality around them while they've got virtual um, reality goggles on. Um, so that's well worth doing another time. There were a few films that came out at the same time. So Dark City was another film that played with this idea. Yeah. Uh, it's slightly different premise, but the idea behind it was uh, humans are being deceived. Uh, reality is not what we think it is. Uh, and you're right, it was the technology allowed the masses the ability to really delve into this imaginary space of understanding what is life, why we're here. Yeah, and so that thing of, well, the the other geek part of me then goes through the, well, we're now looking at um, the, the explanation of Morpheus about how he started. And for those that are really interested, um, there was another... Uh, collection of short movies released, The Animatrix. Mm, mm. One of, uh, there's a two part, uh, two episodes that are part one and part two of The Animatrix that's actually what happened between the machines and the humans. I was talking about it uh, in terms of an article that we were doing at uh, TLN. Um, artificial intelligence is uh, developing and what is it that's going to stop artificial intelligence treating us the way that we treat ants? Mm. Um, so uh, there was a great TED talk uh, on this, uh, can we stop artificial intelligence destroying us all? Um, but the idea is basically we don't really care about ants. Sometimes we'll go out of our way to leave them alone and step over them, but if we need to build a building, then we'll bring a... Um, big steam shovel through and dig out the ground without a second thought. So what are we doing to ensure that machines don't develop to a point where they see us as ants? Not that they're malicious towards us, that we're just insignificant to them because they've evolved. And I think that's the thing that's happened in this movie. It's just the machines have become so smart, we're just a fuel source to them. And the way to control us is through this virtual reality simulation. And so to try to work out what is real and what isn't real, um, then brings up Cypher's discussion with the agent, which I find ridiculous that it happened, because who was the operator that put him into the matrix? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but that's a, that's a small flaw. Um, but when he was saying... You know, I know this steak doesn't exist. I know that when I put it in my mouth, the Matrix is telling my brain that it is juicy and delicious. After nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. Your brain is just a collection of electrical impulses. Uh, then what's the difference between electrical impulses coming from your senses from the world around you or by being stimulated by a machine in an artificial way? Does that make it any less real? And it reminds me of a line at the very end of the Harry Potter series uh, when Harry was on the train station with Dumbledore and uh, in the movies said, is 
uh, Professor, is this all real or is it just in my head? And the professor responded with, of course it's in your head. Does that mean it's not real? Well, <laughs> so it's this nature of reality and, and I kind of enjoy thinking about, well, what does it all mean and does it mean anything? But then the idea that the machines could actually do that and we look at the technology around us and go, well, once we've got self-driving cars, what's to say they decide we're annoying and they just drive themselves and leave us out of it? Yeah, um, this point of view is, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you that that is frightening and terrifying and uh, I'm trying to recover in order to actually make a salient sentence. Sorry, everyone. I didn't mean to make it a real doomsday thing, but um, there was a particularly low point of my life where this became the go-to movie. So <laughs> I spent a lot of time thinking. Yeah, no, no. The one thing when you were talking is uh, the whole uh, idea of do we save the answer, do we not save the answer, or do they just get in our way, is uh, there's another film, um, Seven Years in Tibet, where it actually depicts, um, and I, all my references come from films, but you, you quoted Harry Potter, so I feel <laughs> okay with quoting another film. Absolutely. Um, when they're constructing something, the Buddhist monks are uh, rescuing the, the insects and the ants out of the way. So it's a particularly probably Eurocentric point of view to think, well, some, we can just get rid of something that's in our way. It's not the philosophy of all humans. Yeah, that's so right. I think what I'm saying is I, I think the Buddhist monk should be in charge of developing AI. <laughs> is I think that's the conclusion I just came to. Not not the Western scientists who are out to make some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so having said that, there are some great technological advances that are of huge benefit to humans. Um, clearly being turned into a fuel source is not one of them, but the things that I saw that were on display from an educational point of view, we had some uh, uh, quite a few instances of one-on-one -on -one mentoring going through and having the expert as a guide. Um, there was also this um, uh, the self-talk and the expectation that was placed whether someone can live up to the expectation they've been given. Uh, as Cypher said, What a mind job. We told you're the one. You're going to save the world. Right. That's quite an expectation. Um, but the thing that really excites me, the idea of learning by plugging directly into the brain. Mm. Um, that is a fascinating idea. It is a fascinating idea. Uh, I was reading some work that's being done right now by Boston University. Were you looking at that at all? No. No. Uh, it's Boston University and ATR Labs in Japan. There's a professor of neuroscience called uh, Takeo Watanabe, and he's been studying if you can teach people just by sort of uh, – let me actually read this from the start. Uh, there's a professor of neuroscience – called Takeo Watanabe, and he's been involved in something that's called the Decoded Neurofeedback Study. Uh, what they're actually looking at is the basically the old premise of repetition of a task creates long-term mental and muscle memory. So when we're looking at the idea of um, learning something like we're learning Kung Fu by being planted in, uh, having something implanted in our brain, is can we actually learn that without doing and repeating? karate kid style 
um, wax on, wax off thing yep. until we get the muscle memory. Uh, so in this study, what he had the participants do was they performed a mental task, and the, the, the task was to make a green disc grow larger. And uh, so basically it's just visual perceptual learning. And they had to do this over and over again for an hour at a time. What they ended up doing is they induced learning in the brains using, using functional magnetic resonance imaging. So they showed the volunteers patterns and they showed and asked them to make this green disc grow and then monitored their brain activity. And what they found is that they were able to train the participants to recreate the brain pattern yep. they'd observed happening. With an fMRI. Mm. So um, like obviously it's a very small thing, a very small step, but basically they're saying it is possible. We're just at the very fringes. Yeah. That's fabulous. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, so one thing you mentioned there, muscle memory. I haven't got a study with me, but I read a study that was saying that that's basically debunked. Ah. Muscle memory isn't a thing. Mm. The brain memory is. Sure. The brain has memories. There's no memory in your muscle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when athletes talk about they've got their muscle memory, mm. what they're inaccurately describing is their brain has remembered exactly how to move their muscles. Sure. So it's you know uh, it's just the wrong it's way the of scientific it. yeah pedantic yeah um, explanation, but compared to what people generally refer refer to as, so people had this idea they have to like a tennis player has to practice swinging their arm hundreds and thousands of times so that their arm just goes this is the motion to go in. What it is actually your brain is recognising this is where the arm should be. So it's all just neurons firing in the brain. So this idea in the matrix that you could plug something in and then uh, with whatever electrical impulses connect those same neurons, and that's, I think, yeah, if I heard you in. right, that's yeah. what that if I'm, if MRI was doing? Yeah, that's what they're, they're trying to get at. Look, you know, I know the very fringes of this study. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I suppose the one thing that concerns me about that, it, yeah, okay, you can learn the, the, the brain memory to make the muscles work in a very particular way, but it still doesn't um, mean that your body is strong or flexible enough or yeah, all right. of those things actually still just take physical training. Yeah, so you need your muscles increased. Um, when Neo first got taken aboard the Nebuchadnezzar, he was jabbed with all of the acupuncture needles um, because his muscles had atrophied because he's never used them. Mm. So they were able to use that technology to increase his muscle mass. They Captain America him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're talking about a civilization that's a couple of hundred years ahead of us. So they've got this medical technology that can repair a human body much better than we currently have. And yet they can't weave new clothes. Well, no. Because they, no, no, I, I have thought about that one as well. <laughs> there's no cotton fields. There's no linen being created. So their access to the resources, the raw materials to make clothes are a bit, oh, a bit Danielle, rough. No, no, you, you, you unpick a jumper and you start again with the same thread. I think we've got into a very minute part <laughs> yeah, of the right. matrix. Um, but I think the idea... Because um, it's not just learning, because uh, one of the things I had written down in my notes was knowledge is just information that's stored in your brain. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, 
experience doesn't matter. And experience is really your ability to recall memory. Mm -hmm. um, so if they're able to reprogram the brain and connect neurons and affect memory, one would assume that that same technology is able to falsely create or destroy memories that are in the brain. So if they can create the learning, logically it doesn't, um, it, it holds that they would also be able to recreate recreate the memories mm -hmm. and so then they get the experience with the knowledge but that wasn't shown in the movie they just got this knowledge and oh there now i know it all operator tank i need a pilot program for a b212 helicopter hurry let's go and so, yeah, there's there's a really interesting idea about whether or not learning is actually going through the experience of doing things and then learning from your mistakes or just the act of acquiring knowledge. And for me, all of the work that I've done as a teacher is about looking at how to give kids experiences and to learn personally. The knowledge that they absorb gets assimilated into their personal experience. It's not good enough to just say, oh, well, I had these experiences, so I'll recreate, I'll recreate these experiences for you, and then you'll know exactly what I know. Because knowledge is much more than that, and the learning process is much more than that. So I don't think, as much as I'd love it to be, I don't think that it's possible to just insert knowledge and then say there you now know the same as what the next person knows yeah it's, it's I, a very machine way of thinking about knowledge it is it is and it's a very old-fashioned way of thinking about knowledge as the accumulation of facts rather than um, yeah. building the creativity or the logic to do something with information um but i, I think the film does follow that so it if you look at the the typical journey might take it truncates the learning bit into a oh now I know that um, but Morpheus still takes him into the training room and proves well you don't know what to do with it you might know it yeah but you're not there yet buddy so he still has to gain yeah, so, experience so they didn't implant the experience mm. of that knowledge so he still had to go experience so it, yeah it's this thing of yeah well you've got the knowledge but it's not useful um, that brings us to another point I wanted to talk about mentoring Mm. So, Morpheus is Neo's mentor. Yes. Trinity is also a mentor in this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I didn't see a lot of good mentoring going on, though. No, 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 no. They, they, they weren't um, <laughs> expressing great skills in those areas. <laughs> so, well, I, I suppose it's worth defining what is great mentoring. Well, I saw um, Trinity as being the student ahead. So it was more of a peer mentoring sort of situation. So I, I forgave her a little bit in terms of not being a top A class teacher because really she was still learning herself. I was extremely competent um, but still a learner on the path. Is that how you saw her? Or? No, because, um, well, to an extent. She's second in command of the ship. Mm. She has a fair bit of authority. She's already graduated her training program. 
So she is, in terms of development, on par with everyone else who has graduated. Ah, but that very differently. She is not the co- the captain of the ship. Mm. So she has graduated and can speak with authority, but doesn't have ultimate decision making power. Well, I suppose I was looking at Morpheus as like the master of the dojo, and he is. The, the best students, yeah. and then there's all these other ones that are still hanging around the dojo. So, yeah, instead of a command structure like you were thinking, I was thinking more of dojo student structure. Yeah, see, yeah. I look at it, take um, the team of grade three, four teachers that I worked in. Um, the graduate comes in and you've got the four of us and the first year teacher. Mm-hmm. So we're all teachers who are qualified and have proven ourselves and the graduates trying to prove themselves. Mm -hmm. The following year, that graduate has now proven themselves and the new graduate takes up that bottom rung. So it's always the probationary person. Everyone else has graduated, but there's still levels of hierarchy and experience within the ones who have graduated, but they've already passed that probationary period. Like driving. You get your P-plater. Everyone over whatever age is a qualified full licensed driver but you've got your p-platers so they will reach that point they're still not as experienced as everyone else so i I see it as more of that hierarchy rather than the uh i'm i'm a step ahead of you but i'm still a student for um our international listeners uh, in australia there's a a tiered system for getting a driver's license so we have l plates for learners and then you get a provisional license, uh, which has two steps within it. And then eventually you can get a full license. Once you meet probation requirements, they pop your truck. And nobody can tell you're a bad driver anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, except the courts and the police and, you know, all the people of the authority. <laughs> um, practice safe driving, everyone. Yes, please. And particularly if you're listening to this podcast while you're driving. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> Concentrate. Um so, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing of mentoring. So the I, I, I don't think we actually identified what a good mentor is yet. So I think for me, a person who is going to be a mentor needs to be approachable, needs to be knowledgeable, and needs to be supportive of the student or mentee. Morpheus is knowledgeable. Mm. Let me give you one piece of advice. Be honest. He knows more than you can imagine. I believe he is approachable, Mm -hmm. but we don't see much evidence of that, but he's willing to spend a lot of time talking to Neo. Yeah. Don't think Morpheus spends much time sitting and chatting with Cypher. No, no, he lost that relationship. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's very much uh, that's that's not good mentoring because mm. you kind of oh chosen one, oh, you're my favorite. Hey everyone, stand back. Here comes my favorite. That's that's not a good dynamic to be involved in. No, it sets up a very bad uh, relationship later on. Yes. Yeah, and what was the other thing I said? Supportive. Mm. Morpheus and Neo train together a bit. He is giving Neo exercises. So I think he's done a bit of scaffolding and he's going, right, we're going to start with this, then we'll build to this, now we'll load the chump program. And so they go through steps yeah. of um, learning, which is, which is good. 
but it always comes across as all right see if you can catch up to me come on stop trying to hit me and hit me there's no okay here have a go and i'll support you it's i'll show you how you how it's done mm. and nope not not good enough try again yeah there's no uh, mate this is where you went wrong try this instead it's just try again yeah yeah but but then there's that moment in the um in the actual dojo the training pro how did i beat you you're too fast do you believe that my being stronger or faster has anything to do with my muscles in this place you think that's air you're breathing now which is that questioning a have a think but it's still not questioning it's telling yes it's all i am telling you what you should do open your mind like why aren't you opening your mind yet i'm telling you the right things at no point have you actually asked him anything yeah, I think they're probably aimed more at the the audience and trying to get us to have a oh moment yeah. rather than the character. It's not well written within the character world. It's well written for the audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it is a very effective way of getting the audience. But the reality of the teacher-student relationship, it's, it's not effective. It's not a good way to get the student to come along with you and take ownership because it's just all directed at them. How much of his mentoring uh, skills do you think Morpheus picked up from Yoda? <laughs> yeah, possibly a few. <laughs> I mean, beating him with a stick. Well, he kicked him through a really big post. And then Neo had quite the meteoric rise to success. There were a couple of times he trained with Morpheus. Then Morpheus got snatched, and then Neo just went, no, I am the one, and all of a sudden he had all the ability. Well, I suppose following the uh, the hero's journey, he just had to. The, yeah. the master had been kidnapped, and it was either the moment where the master was going to die or the master was going to be rescued, and in this case it was a the rescue situation that happened for this film. Uh, the film... I think what we're sensing here is the film had to spend so much time setting up the world and setting up the uh, the whole parameters of the experience we we're going to be in that they really had to truncate that whole hero's journey training part, which we, we do love in films, particularly on uh, Rated E for Educational. That's what we're looking for and it wasn't there. So I'm, I'm sort of wondering if it's a little bit of um, we're expecting something the film could never <laughs> Achieve in two hours. Yeah, that's true. And I suppose <laughs> the convenient um, part of that is, well, it was all just downloaded into his brain. So, yeah. You know, well, yeah, that's convenient. What he needed was time out in the real world, um, quotation marks, uh, to test out his, his philosophy. It, yeah. it wasn't even so much he's testing his learning. It was testing is this philosophy going to sit with me and can I operate using that philosophy in the world? Yeah, and that raises a good point. There was no time to see him seeing his... Um, I know when I first learned to ride a motorbike, um, my uncle 
was on the back with me, showed me how it worked, went went around the paddock a few times, uh, let me hold controls. Then he hopped off, and I thought, great, that was fun. He's like, here, do a few more laps and practice on your own. And I was oh, now I'm practicing the skill. And to kid in a candy shop, I was having a great old time. Um, but it's that thing of you have given me the instruction, now I am having a go and I'm putting it into practice myself. And we never saw that. Neo never got to go into the training programs on his own and just practice jumping around and testing out what he could and couldn't do in that created world. Yeah, there was no safe zone for playing with new skills, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, again, not terribly captivating to watch for the movie, no. but an important part of the movie. Yeah. Unless you assume it was downloaded straight into his brain, which I think I'm isn't something that's possible. Yeah, um, I, I was I was looking into it because it really prompted me to think about the nature of learning. And I, I was talking a little bit before about filling your brain up with facts and is that what we want to do? And I came across transmedia storytelling. Uh, and in particular, there was an article by... Um, I'm probably going to mash up his name, but um, Otto Dudasek. And it's from 2015. We might put up the um, at least a reference on our website because it's interesting to read. And basically he was talking about using transmedia storytelling as a form of education. And um, just to talk about what that is, it's fiction that's simultaneously distributed through a number of different channels. So you, you create, create a coordinated form of entertainment. So basically there's no um, uh, emphasis on a particular character or individual plot or anything like that, but the worlds are sustaining multiple interrelated characters and their stories. So um, Minecraft or Second Life, Second Life still around. I don't think somewhere. it is. Somewhere, who knows, somewhere in the back the end. World of, the of Warcraft, all of yeah. those kind of digital worlds. Yeah. Um, but even beyond that, actually integrating uh, things like social media in, which I know some of them do now, but trying to get everything together. And what he was challenging and what the proponents of um, this transmedia storytelling form of education uh, are putting forward is that since oh, the 1700s at least, in European-centric education systems, of which Australia is following that particular model, we do set about to, to teach kids how to read and write, to do mathematics, which is also part of reading and writing, um, but also just learn facts, learn this list of kings, learn this other list of other facts, learn the um, periodic table. And once you have learned all of these things, you will graduate. Um, obviously, this is starting to change, thankfully. Um, but for a long, long time, that's how our education system was. And that's what I, I worry a little bit about with um, this whole implant memory stuff, is that it's a, a call back to you can just learn stuff and then you know things. Yeah, and it's like the, the whole industrial revolution model of education that came. Um, kids are being indoctrinated and taught knowledge um, so that they produce good uh workers those workers go work in the factories and they just do their jobs and so the school the education system was set to produce 
these people who could function in the factories because the Industrial Revolution meant there were so many more factories that needed people to work in them. And so the 21st century learning, um, a lot of the information has been around how do we give kids skills that they're going to need in the future when we don't know exactly what skills we will need because all the statistics saying kids are graduating, uh, the, it's like 50% of the jobs that kids will do by the time they graduate don't exist yet. So how do we give them skills for jobs that we don't actually know about? And, and so it's that whole thing. How do you develop the critical thinking skills and the, the ability to problem solve and those kinds of things? And that's where um, well, uh, created worlds like in Minecraft or any of those digital things um, I saw a fascinating, sorry, just slightly off topic, but uh, a professional development session by Nina Fennell, uh, who's based in Sydney, uh, and she was talking about uh, digital impact on students' learning. And her research, she was saying, and I'm going to get it mixed up, so go to her for the actual information, but she'd done surveys trying to find out what it is I think the parents wanted their kids to learn, or it might have been the teachers. Uh, and there was this list of skills that kids should have, and it was um, get outside and build things, um, run around outside, get fresh air, work together with other kids, and this big long list of this is what kids should be learning to do. And so then she looked at Minecraft specifically and looked at what the kids were doing in there. They were working with other kids and they were building things together. And the only thing that was missing from the list was run around outside and get fresh air. Mm. So it was this thing, they're not wasting time by playing on the computer. They're actually developing and addressing all of the same skills just in a different format. And I think, is that what you're getting to with the transmedia? Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, and I think we've both just written articles very much on this sort of practice for the latest journal that's coming out, um, or maybe out by the time we uh, are. Yeah, the TLN journal, uh, what is it, 2017 winter edition? Yes. On, uh, something. I wrote for it. I didn't edit it, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, but we, we both had articles in there. I was, I was looking at the teaching of history and how you do that in um, the digital education world. Um, but basically that we don't need to teach uh, students the facts anymore because the facts are online. What we need to teach students is curiosity or give, how to evaluate it, the facts. How to evaluate yeah. it, how to use that, how to find it, how all those Application of knowledge, yeah. not the knowledge itself. Yeah, because yeah. those are the skills they're going to need in the future. I think thinking about the matrix and the viewing it now with this transmedia sort of thing, I was considering that the AI have created this um, banal world, of a transmedia experience actually for humans and what they've misinterpreted is they, they thought that humans would just be caught up. And, but what has ended up happening is they're starting to break free and it's small, there's only a few of them at any one time, but trying to keep people down with just banal existence. I keep using that word, but that's really what well, that think, period of history is. It's our history, right? Yeah, and I think that was interesting because Agent Smith certainly had his um, monologue about that. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when 
I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we are the cure. But he was saying the first um, iteration of the Matrix. Did you know that the first Matrix was designed to be a perfect human world where none suffered, where everyone would be happy? It was a disaster. No one would accept the program. Entire crops were lost. Some believed that we lacked the programming language to describe your perfect world, but I believe that as a species, human beings define their reality through misery and suffering. The perfect world will dream that your primitive cerebrum kept trying to wake up from. Which is why the Matrix was redesigned to this, the peak of your civilization. I say your civilization because as soon as we started thinking for you, it really became our civilization, which is, of course, what this is all about. Evolution, Morpheus. Evolution. So the, the following Matrix was then all the pain and suffering of everyday life because that was believable. Mm -hmm. And so the human mind was able to accept, accept that it. and the machines were able to identify that. But I think it still comes to the, the, the idea that we're talking about. You can't replace um, your own experience of gathering information uh, by just f stimulating the correct neurons because that's not experience. And the human brain is... All human brains are too different to just apply a single set of experiences to and expect the same result. Yeah, because eventually humans going to break free of that and start thinking differently, which yeah. I think the matrix... Go us. Well, yeah, we're, we are amazing thinkers in many different ways. As, you know, I hope there's no alien listening to this <laughs> going off amazing thinker, whatever. Um, but... I, that's what I do love about the film is that it shows this possibility, but it also shows the capacity of humans to step beyond. And Life will find a way. Life will find a way. I, I did think it was a bit rich um, when, you know, uh, Hugo Weaving's character again, sorry. Agent Smith. Agent Smith, sorry, um, was saying, oh, you know, you guys used up all the resources in the world. And all. So it's not exactly a paradise that they created, is it? Like, <laughs> yeah, horrible. but they're self-sustaining. Yeah, it's gross what they did to the world. I'm not. I'm oh, not. For that sounds. Them. That's it. No, I'm <laughs> certainly not advocating it. But I don't think the machines were really too perplexed by how pretty a flower looked. 
They should be. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so that does bring us to the end. Uh, it's not all doom and gloom, uh, but we do have a couple of questions we like to ask. So my question, my first question to you, Amy, is this film an accurate representation of education in practice? Uh, I'm just going to go with a no on that one. I'm going to go with a yes, Ooh. with a but. Okay. I think it is an accurate representation of mentoring, but it's not good mentoring. Well, I'm going to add to that because I, I did think of this at the time. We didn't talk about mentoring. I, I'm a big advocate that mentors should be chosen. Ah, yes. There was no choice in this. Yes. The, the um, Keanu Reeves was chosen. Neo was chosen. But... He didn't get to choose someone he felt comfortable with to build a relationship yeah. and understanding, supportive relationship. So, yeah. yeah, that is something we neglected to mention. He was so, dragged to the learning. He, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I think it's accurate. Mm. There are a lot of situations in schools between teachers and students, but also new teachers and experienced teachers where they're allocated a mentor, they have a couple of meetings, and then, okay, off you go. Now be great. And so it's bad mentoring practice in my view, but that's exactly what happens, which we saw in the film. All right, I'm just going to agree with you. I think you're right. You are right. Um, I, I'm happy to accept that it's not accurate because we can't just plug a spike into it. Yeah, that's, I think, where my head was. Yeah. It's like, no, that doesn't depict real life. No, but it but, could do. But how cool. Well, you found yeah. the research where they're about to do that. So that's great news <laughs> for the future. Um, my next question, is this relevant to teaching today? Yeah, I think it is. I think it holds a lot of relevance uh, because we really need to think about what we're doing in our practice and start changing very, very quickly. Because as you mentioned, AI really is probably not that far away, um, at least in its formative stages. Uh, so we're going to have to adapt very quickly to learning either our new place in the world, which may not be at at the top, uh, or um, uh, what we're definitely learning is that we can't keep teaching in the factory model. Yeah, and I think even without all the technology, uh, the way mentoring happens, uh, there's a lot of improvement to be made, and that's a conversation that's still going on in educational settings around the world. So absolutely still relevant. Um, I think everyone may already guess my answer to this, but Amy, do you think this was a good movie? I think if I said anything, but yes, <laughs> I might not be welcome back in the office. No, I, I actually really love this film. Uh, it's a wonderful film. I'm not quite as high in geekdom in it as you. Yeah. It's probably not too many. So you haven't played both PlayStation games and watched extra Footage. Oh no! I've, I've watched the extra footage. I've oh, seen the animated. Yeah, no, no I've, I've done no, all of no, that. You're close. I've done. Uh, yeah. I just haven't done it uh, religiously no, on a weekly. Come fashion. over. I'll get the PlayStation Two out of the cupboard, and we can spend a weekend. Um, I don't have a PlayStation Two. Just give me the disc. Oh, all right then. <laughs> Dust it off. <laughs> wow. Um, I absolutely love this movie. The more I think about it, the more I enjoy thinking about it. The more there is to think about. So, absolutely, this is a great movie. Um, and finally, do you 
think this movie would inspire someone to go into teaching? I think someone watching this movie in particular with its iteration of uh, teaching may think, well, that's a dead industry. I'm not getting into that because you're just going to be plugged in at the back of the head. Um, so, I, I, no. I don't think, like the whole, ah, oh, you were the master and then you were you were brought on and you learnt and surpassed the master. That, that might inspire someone to get involved in an educational process, but no, not into teaching. Um, well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. It's been a pleasure, Daniel, talking about a, a great science fiction film with you. Likewise, Amy. Um, so thank you to you and also thank you to Erin Ma, our information analyst, uh, who gathered all the information required for today's podcast. So thank you for your attendance and we'll see you at the movies next time. Bye for now. Teacher Learning Network is a professional development provider based in Australia. For one flat yearly fee, you can access as much professional development as you like online. There are membership structures for schools and teachers. For more information, go to tln.org.au. See you online. TLN is co-sponsored by the Australian Education Union, Victorian Branch, and the Independent Education Union, Victoria, Tasmanian branch. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as Teacher Learning Network and on Twitter as at TLN Update. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au